We hope you enjoy listening to this weekly podcast from Lifeline Church. Find out more by visiting lifelinechurch.co.uk. <clears throat> I want you to meet Dragbert. Dragbert is a dragon. It's a very friendly dragon. Belongs to uh, my grandchildren. Well, it's funny, since we had grandchildren, we've accumulated a lot of toys, and I, I'm not exactly sure whether they're theirs or ours, to be honest. But they populate our living room, and uh, they come every Monday and Friday, our grandchildren, that is. <laughs> and we put the toys away, but somehow there's always some left over. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's, um, you could be forgiven for thinking we uh, live in a nursery. But it's part of the fun of being a grandfather. Now, I'm just um, getting to grips with this, which is the front and the back. Big button. Whoa, look at that dying to self. Now, I put together this PowerPoint in 2005, and I've forgotten that it animates, so I have no idea what's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> dying to self. It's a very strange topic, isn't it? Dying to self. It's something that Jesus talks quite a lot about in the Gospels. Um, but it needs to have a practical daily impact. It's um, very much something that you might hear as a Christian in your Christian life. And uh, it sounds kind of esoteric somewhere out there. What does it really, really mean? I remember reading a book. I won't say which one because then I could go off into another tangent. And um, time is of the essence. Um, but the writer was talking about dying daily. Every single day, waking up and saying, God, this is your day. I surrender it to you. And that's wonderful, except every so often, the old us comes back with a vengeance. You know how it is. You're cruising along, and God is on his throne. Everything is right with the world. Perhaps you're literally cruising on cruise control in your car. Everything's wonderful. Thank you, Jesus. The worship is playing on the stereo. Suddenly, someone cuts you up on the roundabout. <laughs> and out comes the dragon. <laughs> See what I did there? It's good, isn't it? Drag bird. He's, he's a busy little guy. You're being very polite, very English, at a meal. And afterwards, there's pudding. You're really excited by the pudding because it's pavlova, cream, raspberries, meringue. And you notice that you get a very small portion compared to everyone else. <laughs> But of course, you submerge dog Dragbert. You don't, you're not going to let him get away. Paul talks a lot about this character. He doesn't call him Dragbert, which is a bit of a sad thing, really, because it would make the Bible far more entertaining. I can't actually put him down now. <laughs> he won't go down. <laughs> Come on, down you go. <laughs> oh, well, you get the point. Dragbert, OK. He's a dragon. He sits in his happy little castle, but every so often something winds him up and annoys him. And so dying to self is about recognizing 
the things which we need to lay down on a daily basis. And what happens when we don't is drag book comes out. And every so often, things wind me up, and I find my own drag book coming out. Um, particularly at the moment, it's because I work from home, and I work a lot with technology, when technology doesn't work, or doesn't work as it should, or is so complicated. You know how you have to provide a password, and then you have to put in a little code that comes to your phone, and if the code doesn't come to your phone, it comes to the authenticator, which, I mean, it's just so maddening. Little things like that drive me crazy. Now, in 1985, Amanda and I joined the church, and we joined a thing called the Do Loss Program. And the Do Loss Program then was a one-year full-time adventure. We lived by faith. That is to say, we didn't earn any money. We lived on what people gave to us. And, um, you know, some... some months it was tricky for some of the doolies. For me, it wasn't so bad because my dad was supporting me anyway, which was very good of him. He didn't believe, but there you go. Uh, but at the beginning of the Doulos program, God spoke very clearly to me something in very sort of measured sentences. And I thought, this is amazing. So I wrote it down and I pondered it. And it was this. Oh, it's a bit small there, but anyway. Take all that is precious to you and lay it down at my feet. Those things which I want you to keep, I will return to you pure. The rest I will keep. Take all that is precious to you and lay it down at my feet. The things which I want you to keep, I will return to you pure. The rest I will keep. Now, I was a very young, ambitious person. I trained in theater arts as an actor, and I had quite a sizable ego. It's quite important, actually, in the theater. And I also had a girlfriend, Amanda, and <laughs> I had dreams of having a family. I had dreams of having a home. I had dreams of having a very successful acting career. I had dreams of being a writer being a musician, all these things. But I gave them all up to God. I put them all at his feet. Some of the things didn't come back exactly as I expected, but the others did and multiplied massively. And God changed the direction of my life as I surrendered to him every day. And all I can say is the life I live now, I'm just so grateful for because he's blessed me with so many wonderful things, not least of which three fantastic sons, four amazing grandchildren, and on and on. And so, although this is about dying to self, it's also about the joy of what God gives in return when we surrender everything to him. The things are immeasurable more than we could ever dream, ask, or imagine. I almost got a PhD into the mix. How did that happen? I had no idea I was ever going to do that. So today, we'll be looking at key Bible verses. What does dying to self mean? What happens when we do? What happens when we don't? The pop-up dragon, we've all seen him. And how do we do this? How does it actually play out. So let's look at some Bible verses. 
John 12, 24. Jesus said, I'm telling you the truth. A grain of wheat remains no more than a single grain unless it is dropped into the ground and dies. If it does die, then it produces many grains. And I could ponder this truth of nature for hours. A grain, a seed has to die, completely dead to anything. And yet, when it's in the ground, it suddenly sprouts. There's an eternal truth there that we can recognize in death as well. I don't understand it fully, but it's there. Romans 8.13, Paul says, for if you live according to your human nature, you're going to die. But if by the spirit you put to death your sinful actions, you will live. Galatians 2.19-20, I have been put to death with Christ on his cross so that it is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. The life I live now, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. So all this stuff about dying to self can never take place without what Jesus has already done. He died for us and caused us to carry our cross and die daily. There's a lot of metaphors, a lot of imagery in that. And yet, it's so simple in a way and so profound the life I live now I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave his life for me it's all because of what Jesus did on the cross he gave his life for us as a substitute he took the punishment that was due us on himself and through the resurrection from the dead he shows us that we can live a completely different life And we have seen it time and again as people give their lives to Jesus. The things they used to do, they no longer do. They suddenly become different in the way they think. And every so often, the dragon pops out. Oh, yes, absolutely. But gradually, the dragon gets less and less visibility. So what do we die? How how, How do we die daily? What do we lay down? Ourselves, which I guess is selfishness, self-centeredness. I remember going to a, um, it was a sales sort of meeting at an office in Milton Keynes. And there was some food laid out. And the salesman was a very interesting character. Quite often they are, aren't they? And uh, he came late to the lunch. And he burst in and said, hello. Is there any food left for me? As if he would never eat again in his life. It was just, and I just thought, gosh, that's interesting, isn't it? When people live by their, I don't know, in Crossroads, we talk about the brain. We talk about the primitive brain, the amygdala, the thing that drives us, the urges we have, the fight or flight response, all that kind of stuff. It's part of the brain that looks like an almond. But it can, if we're not careful, run out of control. And so often our appetites, we need to feed our appetites. We need to just satisfy ourselves. And when we lay this down, we prefer others before us. 
we used to uh, run a church in Barking on the Gascoigne estate, and we used to have family time. And part of that was having a tea together. And quite often, people would just pile their plates high with all sorts of stuff. Not the church people who were serving, but a lot of the people from around and about. And I remember John always saying to us, hold back, don't rush to the front of the queue, because A, you don't really need to eat, and B, we're not here to satisfy ourselves. We're here to bless other people. So I remember reading a book called The Miracle on the River Kwai, which was about a Japanese prisoner of war camp in the war, the Second World War, and so many of the prisoners became what they call feral. They became like animals. And they started grabbing after food because they were so, so hungry. They were starving. They could not live without living like animals. And right at the beginning of Genesis, God says man gave names to all the animals because he differentiates man from animals. God and man Man is made in the image of God. What does that mean? That means that man has the ability to hold off, has the ability to defer, has the ability to prefer other people before himself. And so animals, when they're hungry, they eat. When they want to mate, they mate. They do what they need to do. They don't have the ability to defer, to delay gratification. Humans do. We are like God in that respect. And then there's humility. Humility, C.S. Lewis said, is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. I still have a long way to go with that. And John once said, every time you say no to yourself, you're extending the kingdom of God. I'll say that again. Every time you say no to yourself, you're extending the kingdom of God. That's a powerful quote. The next thing we lay down are rights. It's my right. It's funny how, because our cousins over the pond, and I am half American, have a constitution which has loads of rights. It's so often fascinating how people stand on their rights. No matter how liberal they think they are, they're actually slaves to a document. And, you know, my right to bear arms my right to have this child, my right to do this, my right to do that. And it becomes all-consuming. And we see it every day in the newspapers. My right to earn more money. My right to be the boss. My right to step on other people and make their lives a misery. And it's interesting, if you read history, and I study history quite a lot, um, how many... Horrific events in history have been caused by one person wanting to do what they want to do and causing an entire nation to be destroyed in the process and many, many millions to die. One person, just one person not dying to self because they probably don't know anything about Jesus or if they do, they ignore him, causing world wars. So my rights, dead people have no rights. If we die daily... We don't have rights. <clears throat> the right to be hurt or offended. I once said to Amanda, we were having a robust conversation. <laughs> I write a diary. Every day, 
I summarize what happens in the day. And uh, every so often, my family say, oh, read a bit from this day or that day. And it's quite amusing. Anyway, um, and I remember once uh, saying to Amanda, look, and I always say, we've had a robust conversation. That's how I sort of describe it. And we had this discussion. And I said to her, I'm offended by what you just said. I'm offended. She looked at me as if I'd grown two heads. <laughs> what is she supposed to do with that? We can be offended, but so what? We take offense. We don't give offense. It's a funny thing, isn't it? Being offended. I am offended. I'm disgraced. I'm disgusted of Tunbridge Wells. <laughs> but it gets us nowhere, being offended. It's a waste of time. I soon found that out when Amanda just looked at me. She didn't actually say anything. She didn't have to. I just thought, I feel like a real lemon right now. <laughs> and Jamie Buckingham, in one of his books, tells a story of a man who refused to be offended. And every time he felt hurt by something someone said, he had a nail in his pocket. And he would take it out, and it would remind him of what Jesus did for him. Because if anyone had the right to be offended, or to take offense, or to... to suffer against, rail against injustice. It was him. It was Jesus. And he would put the nail back in his other pocket because Jesus suffered everything and never took offense. He never shouted out. He was silent. I don't know how the man's pockets survived being nailed, had this nail sort of scratch through them. I'm sure he had to be regularly uh, <clears throat> mended. But nevertheless... It's a fascinating thing, taking a nail out of one pocket and putting it in the other. You feel hurt? Remember Jesus. We lay down the right to react as well. There's a wonderful new film called The Boy, the Mole, the Fox and the Horse by Charlie Mackesy. If you haven't seen it, you must see it. It's won an Oscar. It's fantastic. Half-hour short animated film. And my granddaughter, Ashling loves it. Um, and one of the things the mole says is, one of our greatest strengths is how we react to things. Um, and in fact, I prefer to say respond. If you respond to something, it's better than reacting. Reacting is when you lash out. But responding is considering what you're going to do, thinking about it, praying about it, and then acting. Ruling our own lives, we lay that down as well. We've spoken a lot today already about Jesus, King Jesus. And it's wonderful to sing about King Jesus until such time as King Jesus points out something in your life that needs dealing with. And then you're suddenly, oh, hang on a second, not too happy about that. And how does he do that? Quite often through other people, actually. Quite often through the people around us or the people in authority over us. Authority is a key thermometer. How you respond to authority is a key thermometer. Authority, I'll say this again, is a key thermometer of how much. Because I have a friend who, every time he got a job, oh, the boss is such an idiot, absolute total jerk, honestly. I'll do what they say, but I mean, honestly, what an idiot. Got another job? Oh, the boss, she just, she winds me up. 
Honestly, she's so annoying. What an idiot. Third job. Oh, I've never come across such an idiotic management. They don't know what they're doing. See the pattern? How you respond to authority is so key. And again, this world is full of people who are kicking out against authority with their rights, with their demands. It's the why should I thing. I don't want to. Sometimes you listen to people and you think, gosh, there's a, a very young person struggling to get out, a small child in that person struggling to get out. Personal preferences. Sorry, that's not the way I do things. It's not the way I'm used to working. <laughs> I heard an actor say that once in the dressing room. Okay, whatever. If you're asked to serve in some way, oh, uh, I don't really want to take my friend to hospital. I'm scared of hospitals. Suddenly fear takes a higher preference than looking after your friend. Self-preservation. You may become the most protected person in the world, but also the most lonely. Selwyn Hughes once said, am I willing to give myself to those I am called to love and to be more interested in loving well than in protecting myself against hurt? The world's way is easier. The way of Christ may seem as if it's the route to death, but in reality, it's the route to life. To live, we must be willing to die. We must be willing to lose. Independence. I do things my way. We all know the song, I did it my way. God prefers interdependence, where we're all dependent on one another. So my lesson I learned when I was a young Christian, I like to go from church to church, hopping around, um, because A, some of the teaching was amazing in all these different churches, and I was still learning what it was all about. But it soon became clear to me that in order to serve God effectively, I needed to be interdependent with others. Oswald Chambers once said, beware of refusing to go to the funeral of your own independence. Beware of refusing to go to the funeral of your own independence. <laughs> That's great. And finally, pride. I have, there's a sermon in this, so I won't go into it in a great uh, depth, but I think you all know what pride is and how sometimes stubbornness and pride can hold us back and can cause no end of trouble. Some examples. When we are deliberately snubbed or ignored and we don't get wound up by it but accept that God has our best purposes at heart, that is dying to self. When our good ideas are ignored, we are ridiculed and we don't find ourselves getting defensive but we remain secure in the knowledge of God's love for us and that his perfect will always prevails, that is dying to self. When we have learned to be content in any situation and with any food, clothing, and are content in God's provision for us, that's dying to self. There's a wonderful passage in Philippians where he eventually says, I can do all things through Christ, Philippians 4.13. But leading up to that is all the stuff about I can be content in any circumstance. Shipwreck. Have you ever been shipwrecked? Paul was shipwrecked more than once. 
When we don't dominate conversations, <coughs> I'll just gloss over this one. <laughs> or choose to spend ages talking about ourselves and embrace anonymity with cheerful acceptance. That's dying to self. Okay, that does, uh, that stings a bit. When our friends prosper and all their dreams are fulfilled, while ours don't seem to have even left the starting blocks, yet we can still rejoice in their success wholeheartedly, that's dying to self. When we can accept correction and rebuke for someone younger than ourselves, and we don't feel the need to defend ourselves or retaliate, that's dying to self. Chewy stuff. But always yields fruit and actually whole life. What happens when we do? Peace. We're no longer struggling to be the top of the tree, to be the most loved, to fulfill everyone else's expectations. And interesting, because I was a third son, I was always fighting for affection. I didn't need to, actually. My mother was very affectionate. But I felt the need to do so. So I was incredibly insecure. And insecurity drives us. It drives so many of us in so many ways. And it just sort of hides and then suddenly bursts out, like the dragon, when someone winds us up or rubs us the wrong way or someone else gets picked for the team and we don't, or whatever it may be. Insecurity. But laying that down results in peace. Actually, who cares? I wasn't picked. That's okay. Actually, that's okay. There's a whole life to live out there that has nothing to do with being selected, being number one, being first, being preferred. Security in God. Securing yourself. It all comes down to how secure we feel in God. <laughs> I've got a little sentence here in my notes. Need a regular encounter with God in order to make sure you stay dead. <laughs> yeah, sometimes we do. And sometimes it's also good to talk to others. It's interesting when you get married, you soon learn that you can't be the center of the universe. And then when you have children, they remind you loudly that you are no longer the center of the universe. You never were, <laughs> of course. Better responses to crisis. Crisis will happen. Life is tough. Life is full of ups and downs. And sometimes, some seasons, there are a lot more downs than ups. And yet, when we respond well to these things, it's just so much more peaceful. Last year, I had a number of health scares. And actually, was, there comes a point in hospitals where you, you really, there's not a lot you can do. You're sort of sitting, lying there or sitting there, whatever it is, and people are stuffing tubes into you and plugging you with all sorts of weird devices to test this and test that. There's a point you just think, okay, Lord, I'm in your hands now. And actually, that's a wonderful thing to acknowledge. Waking up at 3 a.m. 
when the possibility of a serious diagnosis is upon you and suddenly everyone else is asleep and the roads are quiet but you just know that you are held you know that God has you you know that he is your father um, it's, there's nothing like it and it's very very powerful when you are able to acknowledge that in the midst of crisis someone once said losing your temper is no way to get rid of it <laughs> I love that um, yeah better relationships you no longer have to get one up on the person that you're living with, working for, working alongside, managing. Because it happens to managers too. It's not authorities two-way. And sometimes the people who work for you can be really difficult to manage. I once said to uh, a team, I was asked, asked to, uh, I want your team to do X and Y. And I thought, okay, I'll ask my team to do X and Y. Okay, guys, this is what we need to do. No, we're not doing it. I had to deal with that. <laughs> Pressed all sorts of weird buttons that I'd never thought I'd... I thought, once you're a manager, you've got authority, right? No, not always, not necessarily. And so, um, yeah, I had, to, I had to navigate that particular challenge. And uh, my own insecurity was fed at that point, and I had to go away and spend time with God after that think what was the best response and did I respond in the right way and all that kind of stuff um, yeah it's interesting taking up more responsibility people start to trust people who no longer react people start to trust people who no longer fight to be top of the tree. People start, it's weird, it's counterintuitive. You would think the more you puff yourself up, the more you'll get promoted. Well, in the world, sometimes, I'm, I'm sorry to say that is true. You could even become president of the United States. Anyway, but our role is not to puff ourselves up. Our role is to say, okay, Jesus, you promote. Promotion comes from the Lord, not from us and yes we, it, not wrong to go for promotion it's not wrong to apply for that job with a bigger salary it's not wrong neither is it wrong to campaign against injustice in this world there's so much injustice God calls us to campaign against injustice the thing is not to campaign against all injustice because you'll, you'll never sleep if you tried that but perhaps there are things that God is calling you to address that's great but you do it from a spirit of submission, a spirit of submission to God, not to the authorities of the world necessarily, but to the authority over them. And people trust you more. And it may take a lot longer than you think it should, but eventually God will take you where he wants you to be. It may not be where you thought you were going in the first place, but he will take you there. So you get more responsibility. Jesus was the supreme example of this. Someone who 
was the greatest leader in the world, and yet he washed his disciples' feet. How many politicians would ever do that? Or the equivalent in the 21st century? Fill the blanks. I mean, it's gobsmacking, isn't it? We follow and serve a master and a king who lays down his life and becomes the servant of all. A little note at the bottom. The best leaders in the world were once the best followers. The best leaders in the world were once the best followers. Jesus spent 30 years of his life in obscurity, obeying his mum and dad, learning how to be a carpenter, and being a carpenter. He was a follower. The greatest king of kings and lord of lords not only learned to submit to life in a human body, but also learned to hammer nails. He probably whacked his finger more than one occasion. He probably cut himself. He learned how to plane. He learned the skills of turning a lathe and all that kind of stuff. And building furniture and other things. Philippians 2, 2 to 4. In imitation of Jesus, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you looking to the interests of others. And in some translations, it says, think of others better than yourself, as better than yourself. Wow. What are the fruits of dying to self? Galatians 5. The spirit produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, humility, and self-control. There is no law against such things as these. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have put to death their human nature, that's with all its passions and desires. It's not to say we don't have passions or desires, but they don't rule us anymore. They don't drive us forward. Instead, the Holy Spirit produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, humility, and self-control. How do we do this? Consciously giving up. We stop struggling. We stop trying to work it all out. We recognize that God is God. And ultimately, he always has the best interests of you at his heart. I'll say that again in a slightly less labored way. God is God, and he has your best interests at heart all the time. So when we die to self, it's actually to rise again in his life for us, not on our own life for us. We recognize that. And sometimes it helps to talk to someone else. If there's an area of life you're struggling with, yeah, talk to someone else and work together. The word repentance means just turning the way you're thinking, changing the way you think. It doesn't have to come with weeping and tears and sobbing and all the other bits and pieces. It's actually quite simple. It's just rethinking. Stop thinking this, start thinking that. 
When we pray, I remember I used to be obsessed with the, being an actor, a successful actor. And it consumed me all the time. It sort of gnawed at my inside, and I became quite depressed. And I remember John Singleton once saying, um, I, wa I want to see something happen for you because you're constantly sad when you shouldn't be. And uh, uh, someone came to pray with me. Um, and John said, um, explained that, I, Dave, come, let's pray for Dave, because he's a bit sad at the moment, and we don't really know why. And uh, this, this person who came to pray for me spotted immediately what the problem was. It was my obsession, this, this dream that I had, that I hadn't fully laid down. And uh, he prayed for me. It, it, you know, it was a prayer. It wasn't overly dramatic, particularly. But since then, the thing that was battling within me went. It just disappeared. And with it, the depression just lifted. I'm not saying all depression lifts that quickly, by the way. I know there are many causes. But in my case, that was the thing that was gnawing at me for quite a significant amount of time. And I had to die. Um, and since then, the freedom that I've known has been profound. It could be a conscious lifestyle choice. It could be that we're watching something on TV that really isn't good for us. Or we're reading stuff that isn't good for us. So we choose to lay those things down. And beware of waiting for God to act first. He sometimes does. But if we wait for it, we could be waiting a long time. We need to act. We need to say, Lord, help me with this. Or go to your friend or pray something. Take that step and God will say, yes, this is the way, walk in it. Sometimes we do need to do the thing. We need to respond ourselves. Your life is ultimately yours and it is up to you to act. It's not someone else's responsibility to give up hours and days of their time to counsel you through your own insecurities. It may just take in a moment an encounter with God. And we depend on the help of others. We should all be actively seeking to have regular encounters with God. There can be no substitute. Dying hurts. I don't know about real dying. I have no idea. <laughs> but dying to self every day is tricky. It can be tricky. Um, and circumstances can sometimes throw us completely. But when we live for ourselves and cling on to the sinking raft of our own desires and ambition, ambitions, that will lead us to a much harder dying to self. And Jesus, anyway, died once for all. So the work has already been done. He offers us a life of freedom and peace in return for our lives daily. Someone once said, salvation is free, but it doesn't come cheap. Salvation is free. Jesus did it all for us, but it's not cheap. It costs him everything. It costs the Father everything, and it costs us daily. And finally, remember. 
He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast by Lifeline Church. We hope this message has been an encouragement to you. We are a relational church with a passion to demonstrate God's love to one another and our surrounding community in real and practical ways. We believe that God has called us to have an impact on our families, our communities and our nation. We'd love to connect further with you, so please do visit our website at lifelinechurch.co.uk, on Facebook, lifeline.church.uk or Twitter at Lifeline UK.